Hi, I'm Roxanne Serta, and I'm the Acquisitions Editor for CNT Publishing. I've been acquiring books for nearly 20 years, and the past seven of those have been here at CNT. Through my job, I get the privilege of meeting countless designers, authors, and industry professionals who all do amazing things with their creativity. I'll be bringing some of those quilting and stitching personalities to this podcast to share their amazing stories and insider information. Download the latest episodes and get to know great crafters, learn the backstories behind events and people, and hear funny stories from people living the crafty life. Okay, so I'm here with Heather Grant, the Director of Marketing and Programming for the Modern Quilt Guild. Um, We're at QuiltCon. It's the last day of the 2019 show. And I wanted to take a little bit of time just to kind of find out what it takes to put the show on. So first of all, I wanted to ask about your own quilting. Like, what is your, like, poison of choice? Um, Well, I don't really show my work too much. Um, And I used to try to feel like I had to design every quilt originally. But lately, I've just been doing patterns um, because I just, with my job, uh, I look at quilting all day, and I look at really good quilting all day, and I am not a really good quilter, so I took me a little while to be okay with that, and now I am, and I just do my own thing, and I'm totally fine if it doesn't look good, and, you know, but lately, lately I've been making patterns. Um, my local guild, the Austin MQG, had a workshop with Tara Fawn in. So I did her bars quilt recently, um, and that was great. I learned a ton about color. And then uh, right now I'm working on Liz Harbertine's January quilt, but I have doubled the size of the block because I'm very lazy and don't want to sew that many small, teeny, tiny blocks. <laughs> so I don't blame you. I have like a bed-sized quilt with like nine blocks, so that's what I'm doing right now. That's really cool. So how did you get involved with the Modern Quilt Guild? Um, well, I founded Austin MQG when um, the MQGs first started getting founded. Um, Elisa and Latifa kind of put a call out on their blog, like, hey, if you want to start one in our city, email us. Let's, like, you know, work together. And there was a um, Big Tent, which was an old community forum. All the first leaders of those early guilds got invited to that that forum. And I founded the Austin MQG Um I think in November, and then I had a baby in March, so I didn't really (laughs) stick around very much after that. And um, at the time, I was working at a semiconductor industry um, in the creative and marketing departments, doing everything from global events to product launches, and um, being on the teams of those product launches and global events, because at that scale, it's a whole team. And then I had my son, and I decided to take some time off, and... Um, about 18 months in, uh, there was a conversation on Twitter about, um, wouldn't it be great if there was a quilt show for modern quilters? Um, I think Elisa and, um, Latifa had gone to a quilt show and they thought it was great, but they just felt like we, modern quilters weren't represented at all. And I didn't participate in that Twitter conversation, but I direct messaged Elisa and said, Hey, I have some marketing and event planning experience and, um, we just started talking and I put together a sponsor guide and, and then I it got to the point where I was like working, you know, 30 to 40 hours a week during nap. I was basically working during nap time and my <laughs> husband was like, okay, you need to go back to work. <laughs> so I, and I was, I did that for like, I probably worked unpaid as a volunteer for probably four or five months. 
And then I went to uh, Elisa and Latifa and said, hey, I need to get a job. I'm going to be looking for a job, so someone else has to take this on. I'll try to do as much as I can. But And mm-hmm. they were like, okay, well, you have actually been selling some sponsorships, so now we'll start paying you. So that was good. I was paid part-time, very cheap. I think I made like <laughs> less than you know $5,000 that first year. It was like ten ninety nine complete peanuts, but um, it was enough to keep my husband happy. <laughs> and, awesome. Uh, although he's pretty easy to keep happy, and um, that's how it all started. And here you are. Here I am. So I always like to find out how things kind of developed. Mm-hmm. So how long from that Twitter conversation until the first quilt conference? I don't remember when the Twitter conversation was exactly. I'd have to go back and look it up. But I remember that I wrote the sponsor guide so that when they went to a fall quilt market, they could present it to companies. Um, And they didn't present it to too many. Um, But two companies, Michael Miller Fabrics and Janome, both said, you know what? Here's $5,000. I think they gave us $5,000 before the sponsor guide. And we were like, great. And then... Um, Stash Books and C&T came in almost right after and gave us $5,000. And that was enough for a down payment at the convention center. Oh, great. So we really just, you know, we didn't have a lot. And I had looked at Austin and there was an opening in the calendar. And we looked at all the quilt shows nationwide to make sure that we could get sewing machine companies to bring machines because you can't compete against another major show. Mm -hmm. And um, so... We booked the convention center probably three or four months after the first initial talk. And then we announced shortly after, I think. So wow. that's good. That's fast. It's faster it than fast. I would have anticipated. Yeah. Well, we put together a P&L and, you know, that's like my hobby. I like to put together P&Ls <laughs> for pretend businesses I'll never open. Um, but I did do one for this and... Um, the response from the companies was great, and so we took a risk. And it was very nerve-wracking because, like, you know, when we signed stuff, it was, like, our personal stuff because we had I – mean, we were incorporated, but, you know, there was some stuff that was, like, our personal stuff. And um, we hadn't yet formalized the organization as a whole yet. Like, we were still kind of, like, growing this nonprofit in a garage, um, and we had – we were – some of the very early money we had hired a lawyer to help us get the nonprofit status because we always knew from the beginning that we wanted to be for the members and provide stuff for members because there's so many for-profit things in this industry. Um, it would have been so much easier to be for-profit. I would be much richer. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, you know, there would be much less challenges, but it wouldn't be the same. You know, mm-hmm. it would just be a quilt con because quilt con supports almost everything that MQG does in our programming because it's like our main fundraiser. So I will say that there is a huge sense of camaraderie at this show just yeah. between everybody, whether you're a vendor, or if you're working the show, or if you're here just attending. Um, it's just, it's a very big prevailing feeling. We've talked about that in the booth a lot this week. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that's because we always go back to our mission, which is to support and encourage the growth and development of modern quilting through art, education, and community. And so when we do things, I mean, yeah, you need to, without a margin, there is no mission. So we need to make sure we make enough money, but just enough money so that we can give our members what they want. And that's what we try to do. Like, what would our 
members want. And there's a lot of voices there. You know, mm-hmm. there's a lot of voices and they're all different. So we try to really kind of say, what would most of them want? Because we can't always make everyone happy, unfortunately. Yeah. And, you know, one thing, because I, I think I started with CNT and Stash Books right before the first QuiltCon. So I've been to them all. I've mm-hmm. worked all of Yay. them. Um, and I could, I just, from that perspective, I know that the QuiltCon today, this weekend, is a totally different animal than the very first one, just because so many more people know about it. And obviously, it's a much, much larger show at this point. So, like, how far in advance do you plan, do you start planning the next QuiltCon? Have you already started planning 2020? Um, 2020's book, and we just announced it, will be in Atlanta. So we, uh, we excuse me, 2021. 2020 has been, uh, it's going to be in Austin. Um, 2021, we just announced. Um, so we try to start talking to convention centers about two and a half years out. Okay. And start um, doing site visits about two years out. So Elizabeth and I went out there um, in summer, I think, maybe early spring. I can't remember exactly. <laughs> it all blur- The business trips all blur together. And we did a site visit of the Atlanta hotel and location and talked through it and made sure it worked. We visited another city, or we have visited other cities that we haven't decided to go with. Um, Elizabeth went to one and decided it wasn't uh, the right fit. The location wasn't a fit. So that's usually about two years out. And we try to sign that contract um, two years out at the minimum. So we work really far. Yes. For that. And I'm sure it'll only get further as it gets larger. Yeah. And we try to figure out who our featured speaker is right around the same time. So when I go home... That's what we'll, I'll be doing is figuring out who our featured speaker is for 2021. Awesome. That'll be great. Yeah. Um, and so the only, the other thing that, that I think is kind of interesting is that on the, on the surface, everything always runs like clockwork and it's very smooth, <laughs> but I've seen you pursued for an iron for like 45 minutes. So like, what are the crazy weirdo things that kind of like go askew like show days well, that people wouldn't think of that are just, yeah. that you guys are solving in the background so that everything just works the way it's supposed to. Well, that's the thing about an event, right? An event is not making sure everything goes smoothly. It's more like mitigating for anything that can possibly go wrong and then when something does go wrong fixing the problem and moving on and that's when an event is just like a lot of solving tiny problems so that the attendees don't notice they notice a problem that's a failure but it does happen um so like i'll tell you for this show you know we we have a decorator a contractor that we have and we give them a a priority list of how we need things set and um that did not happen this year and the, you know, there are a few things that were not up to our level of quality. And so we really were very far behind on quilt hanging because of those challenges. And there's always something like that, right? Mm-hmm. Like one year we had a terrible, terrible AV vendor. You know, there's always something that just doesn't quite go right. So you just kind of have to work around it and find a solution. So what's what's the wacky that you can talk about? What's the wackiest thing that you've had that go thing. crazy? that goes crazy 
And I always, if you don't remember, like I always remember something 20 minutes later. You know, there's been stitches and needles through fingers. That's all pretty typical. Some people have passed out. That's common. Um, And a lot of people don't realize that. Like there's health things that happen. Um, I mean, it was their second year. And um, I guess an attendee like touched a quilt without a white glove around. And they basically pulled the whole row down. Oh, no. Yeah. And so we're all in the walkie-talkie. I don't talkie. remember that. Oh, we took care of it immediately because someone was on the walkie like, quilts down, quilts down. And when that, that's like, everyone get to the show floor and get down there and hold a quilt off the ground. Oh, wow. No, you never. I, And I was there. Yeah. I mean. I, it was probably for... I mean, they were not even like they didn't even completely fall. We we had enough crew get there, and we had attendees help us too. Um, that was a little nerve wracking. We haven't had that knock on wood since then. <laughs> well, you're almost done, so it's unlikely at this point. Yeah, um, you know, oh, the, another thing that happened, which was um, quite traumatic, is that someone um, took their quilt down at the end of the show and. Wo- and that's like prohibited and we didn't know so we thought we were missing a quilt and that's that was like a heart attack oh yeah that it would was, be terrible it was terrible um so now we very clearly write in our acceptance packet do not take your quilt down at all under any circumstances yes <laughs> we have a system you process. do not want to think you've lost a quilt ever or that somebody <laughs> yeah. took one but that we, would be terrible a, yeah someone someone took it down and they didn't you know and the now we're a little bit better about our security there um so, I, I mean, we figured it out pretty quickly, but it was quite frustrating. Yeah. Well, speaking of the people with the white gloves, because, like, I, th- there was one, somebody wanted to see at the back side of a quilt today, mm-hmm. and there must have been four people who hit the side of that quilt, like, within half a second. It was funny. And, like, I was like, I wonder how many volunteers it takes to pull everything off. Yeah, it takes a lot. Um, it takes a lot for any big convention. Like, you know, when you go to, like, we go to a conv- an association for associations convention, and, you know, we volunteer there. I volunteered with that organization before. Um, I don't know our exact numbers. I'd have to check. Um, but it's, like, probably more than 200 people come in oh, wow. and might do, like, one or two-hour stints. Um, I think our, our things around two hours. And then we also have a super volunteer program where if you work 16 hours, you get early registration. Um, and, uh, those people, there's a certain group of people and they just like, some of them earn that to register for classes and they don't because they'd rather volunteer and they come back year after year and I recognize them. And they, they, like we, we were hanging quilts this time and it was like the same crew as last year and they knew what to do. And it was really great. We are so lucky to have such amazing members. So, yeah, they're and they're everywhere. Yeah, I mean, you can't turn around without seeing a volunteer, which is great because then if you need, it's you know, as as an attendee or a vendor, if you need something, you can always grab one. Yeah. Um, so, what are the things? What are what are kind of the secrets about QuiltCon that people, if they knew them, they would have a better experience? Like things that you could take advantage of, like the class swaps lecture passes like are there other things that if people knew about them they would even have a better time well don't overschedule yourself you know a lot of people they get into registration and they're like oh my god i'm in i'm gonna get all my classes and they schedule four classes and then you don't have time for the show floor and by sunday you're absolutely beat you're creatively spent 
So don't register for every single class. You know, a lot of people do that the first year, and then they're like, I should not have done that. And they come (laughs) back and they register for only one or maybe two classes. So that I would really recommend. Um, And, you know, don't be afraid to say hello to people that you don't know, because there's a lot of really great friendships that have been made here. So, And don't skip the happy hours. Don't skip the happy hours, because that's always fun, too. A great way to meet. And other secret things. Mm, I mean, one thing I think that's becoming common that I'm just realizing this year is that if you see something on the show floor, you better buy it Thursday, because it will be gone by Sunday. So our vendors are always like, Thursday's fantastic, and Sunday's so slow. But it's, <laughs> I think it's because everyone kind of has that philosophy on the show floor. <laughs> We sure found that this time around. Absolutely. I will I will agree with that. Yeah. So it's it's good and bad. But all right. Well thank you. Thank you so much. I know it's yeah. carving time out of this event is a huge favor. Um and I very much appreciate it. And so for twenty nineteen, you guys are back in Austin, yeah. Texas. And when is when should people look for announcements at registration? The, that usually happens. We I think we'll release the catalog probably around um, May, maybe June, and then I think registration opens in July. But I want to say one last thing because it's sure, really important, and mm-hmm. it's the most important thing I probably would have to say is that we couldn't do it without our amazing staff and team. Uh, Elisa, Elizabeth, Amanda, and Rianne are all amazing, and without them, we couldn't do the show. And we also have an amazing admin, Janice, who is great, and an extremely supportive board who understands our mission and really gets behind it. And so I want to thank them and our members, because without the members coming, there literally would not be a show. There would be no quilts. There would be no workshops. There would be no vendor hall. It's all be, It's all for our members. And thanks for our staff and our members and our board. All right. Well, thank you again. And now you can go have lunch, I think, right? (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Thank you so much to Heather Grant for taking time out of her insanely busy QuiltCon schedule to talk with me. You can find more information about QuiltCon and the Modern Quilt Guild on their websites. Links are in the description. I hope you enjoyed the first episode of Behind the Scenes. If you like what you heard, share it with your friends, leave a review on iTunes or wherever else you get your podcasts. And of course, be sure to tune into the next episode.